Hi, I'm Sean. Hi, I'm Jordana, and welcome to Meaningful Play, the podcast where we discuss our favourite medium, video games, and the cultural and social issues that surround them on both individual and collective levels. This week, we will be continuing our conversation on player identification by discussing a character that we felt both challenged and supported our ability to identify with them, teenage model and phantom thief Anne from Atlas's Persona 5, published in 2017. So, Sean, what have you been playing this week before we jump into our topic? <laughs> uh, I've been playing this indie game called The Last Door, and I've kind of loved it. It's a point-and-click horror game, and it's in pixel style, like like a fancy version of King's Quest. And it was done on Kickstarter in four episodes, and it's kind of influenced by Lovecraft, sort of horror mm. themes. It's actually, I like jumped in, okay, I'm a very jumpy person. I jump and shriek numerous times in this game, and it's just pixel art. But the soundtrack is incredible. Like, they've got a lot of good reviews for their soundtrack. It really sets the tone. And it was just a really cool, I don't want to say too much because it's spoiled, but it's a very cool cult, sort of cult evil, almost demon, but in a Lovecraft way. So kind of like a Cthulhu-esque monster and you sort of discover what's happened in the past and all these scary things happen along the way. And I just absolutely loved it. I thought it was really brilliant. I've never really played anything like that before. I need to play this game. (laughs) Obviously, my favourite game of all time, at the moment at least, is Bloodborne. It's obviously very Lovecraftian. Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to play this. Like anything to do with Cthulhu. read a bit of his literature as well and it's just there's something so inherently eerie and disturbing something that just gets under your skin right brilliant there may be four episodes maybe an hour each depending how you play Uh, and there's a second season as it turns out so i'm really excited so i'm gonna be starting that soon yeah i'm gonna have to put it on my list (laughs) how about you what have you been playing i've just been playing more secure but honestly because i just don't have a lot of time to game at the moment i just suck at it i have no time (laughs) to get good (laughs) which is unfortunate. The game I really want to purchase at the moment because my best friend has played it and she wants to discuss it in depth is Shadow of the Tomb Raider. And I see that it's getting quite a few DLC now. So I'm really wanting to pick that one up because obviously it just reminded me of today when we're going to be talking about a specific Mm. female character. Lara Croft is the quintessential female character um, in the gaming sphere. So yeah, I really want to see the end of that trilogy. I've been invested in it. I only started playing it a few years ago. I started with the first one and then very quickly played Rise of the Tomb Raider and I just absolutely love them. Mm. There's just something so simplistic about the gameplay but it's also so satisfying. Mm. Yeah, as an action adventure sort of triple A game. Yeah, looking forward to sort of raiding more tombs with my best girl <laughs> Lara but I really want to see sort of the end of Lara's emotional arc because I think what this rebooted series of Tomb Raider has done so well is really sort of developing and giving nuance to the character of Lara Mm. Croft um, as a young woman. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing how she deals with the legacy of her of her forebearers, the, the sort of the Crofts, so to speak, and all the all the really terrible things they've done as anthropologists. Mm. And I did read reviews when it came out at the time and the reviewers or the the critics weren't so impressed that the angle wasn't as explored in such a way that was satisfying. But I think they do touch on it in the game. So I'm looking forward to seeing Mm -hmm. how they they sort of tackle that because obviously that's something we learn in in studying anthropology at university. We learn all the time about, you know, the devastating effects that archaeologists and anthropologists have had on the communities that they've they've studied. Mm. So. I think I'll have to replay these games because I played the first two a long time ago 
and you know my memory's not great <laughs> also I was probably half asleep at the time so yeah like I, I feel like I would really love to replay them yeah. so I can pick up on these themes yeah. and then play the third one yeah, yeah exactly I mean I'm still a bit salty because in the first game uh, obviously Lara has this this relationship with Sam you probably remember mm. who is I think it's Queen Kim- Himiko? Himiko. She was going to be possessed by her mm. and become the next Sun Queen or whatever it was. But anyway, at the end of the Tomb Raider reboot, the first one, there's a comic book series that fills in the gaps between the games. Uh, basically, Sam ends up in a psychiatric hospital and that's why she's not in the second game. Oh. And it really pissed me off because... You never quite know what the relationship between Sam and Lara is. Mm. You know, is it just a case of they're really good friends or is it a romantic Mm. relationship? And it was just a really different dynamic having a woman save a woman as opposed to, you know, a man saving a woman. But even then, there was definitely, I guess, delegations of, like, masculine traits and, like, feminine traits. Like, Sam is very evidently more feminine than what Lara was, you know, in that game. And so that really interested me as well because you still, even though Lara identifies as being a woman you still have these this masculine mm. aura sort of emitting from and these traits that she is sort of exuding while Sam is like very much playing into this princess mm. that needs to be saved trope mm. so that's interesting yeah it's, I've always find I, there's a couple of commentaries about it I've read and I think the conclusion I've come to is like you, you just can't win if a female no. character or some, is like super super feminine then we go oh well yeah. she's stereotypical but if she's super masculine we go oh she's basically a man Man, it's again coming back to those well if we stop attributing traits to gender Mm -hmm. we can maybe get past that but it it is like you just can't win either way yeah you can't Mm -hmm. no I mean, I tend to like the the dynamic that they have, and so it's not really a criticism from me, but more just an an observation, totally. an acknowledgement that that does exist. Yeah. Okay, so well, let's introduce Anne then. Yes. Anne Takamaki from Persona Five. How would you describe her in three words before we get into an actual description? <laughs> uh, sexualized, irritating, and exploited. Okay, so <laughs> I had vulnerable, hypersexualized, and conflicting. So. Six very similar words, really, (laughs) and ones that very clearly depict where we're going to be going with this episode Mm. in regards to this character. So I'll let you explain who Anne is, only because I haven't played Persona 5 recently, and so her character arc isn't really fresh in my mind. So, So, okay, so Anne is basically this character you meet at high school. She is tall and skinny, blonde hair, really long blonde hair in pigtails. She's a model. Uh, She's kind of an incredibly amazing stereotype of a foreigner in Japan. I think the idea is that her parents are fashion designers and they live in Japan, so she's been brought up there. So she has all the looks of a foreigner, but all the speaking mannerisms of typical Japanese people. Um, And she's kind of known in the school. She has this reputation for getting around, even though it's kind of clear that she doesn't get around. People just seem to think she does, whether that comes in a combination of modelling and being foreign and a bunch of other things. Yeah, you end up befriending her, finding out really what's going on and helping her. And from then on, she's in your party. I always remember the, the first scene when you meet Han. It's when Joker's coming out of the train station and he sees her getting into or is in Kamoshida's yeah. car. And it's like a like a stereotypical Hollywood scene, like when the main like when the main character sort of sees his love interest. Mm. Like even the music that occurs, I don't know if there's like sparkles, but like mm. she flips sort of her head towards him <laughs> and it's like it's love at first sight, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's 
that's what I always think about when I think of Anne Takamaki. I mm. always think of the fact that even though I think online the public discourse is that she's not the best girl, mm. a lot of people prefer Futaba or Makoto, um, I think the game sort of wants her or intends for her to be Joker's main love interest. I think so. Yeah. Even for me, who's like, no, our character is asexual. We are not, you're not <laughs> engaging with any romance with anyone. I was so grumpy. I but feel yeah, like you should feel... just go the other way. She just romance everyone. <laughs> <laughs> would be like I feel so strange but maybe it would you would break apart that structure there is actually a scene you can get on Valentine's Day after you finish the game where if you everyone you've romanced no. can end up at the cafe I <laughs> confront you over your philosophy. oh yeah that's quite ways. funny I like that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. well Okay, so considering the words that we've come up with are quite similar, though I sound real mean because I find her really annoying. <laughs> what what does Anne represent for you in general? Okay, so what Anne represents for me is what all female characters that miss the mark for me ultimately stir within me, and that is like deep, deep disappointment. And a reminder <laughs> that female representation in games really needs to continue undergoing change. If I'm ever going to be able to comfortably identify with characters that don't fit, fit into that sort of like dreaded, strong, intelligent, but teetering on completely unrealistic in their expression of like actual stereotypes, uh, stereotype. <laughs> Honestly, Anne is one of those characters where I have to defend, I feel like I have to defend liking a specific game because the sexualization of a certain character is so explicit. It's trying to it's trying to say like I love the game the game system's great yeah there's this crappy character and she drives me nuts but I'm allowed to still enjoy that piece of media exactly yeah. yeah that is the exact issue and I feel like that's I mean that's a main sort of argument that's come up in sort of feminist discourse in games um in the last few years mm. like and probably even like predating Gamergate mm. is the fact that yes we can we enjoy games but as certain individuals with very rigid forms of representational limited forms of representation in media we constantly have to put aside our own comfort in order to enjoy something yeah. properly which sucks yeah pretty much yeah because i mean if you think about it we're thinking about this one character as being a blight on this great game you know if she'd been dealt with slightly differently mm. then overall our experience with the game probably would have been great and it wouldn't have been you know sort of a major transgression it would have mm. just been a minor one where you're like eh, you know this was said but you know it can be thought about in different ways or contextualized in different ways but this is hypersexualization oh, this crazy. is like blatant hypersexualization and objectification yeah. of a teenage girl yeah it's a bit <sighs> creepy i'm not yeah it is but what does Anne represent for you <laughs> before i yeah that's okay <laughs> going on look I love Japan. I studied Japanese in undergrad. I've been to Japan multiple times. So I say this in a very frank way that basically Anne in Persona 5 is basically for me female characters in Japanese games in a nutshell. Every time when we were playing I said to Harris, oh it's a Japanese game, can you tell? Like you know, And we would be making comments like that because we just it's associated with their specific kinds of RPGs I suppose. I mean look at it. To be from the Automata, it was like, oh, she's all, she's really interesting. Well, of course we can blow her skirt up, and you know, because you know, it's of yes. course it's a Japanese game, right? I mean, Japan's not exactly brilliant for women, so you can't separate that from the game industry, obviously. But she's just super exploited. Like she's sexually harassed, and yet they sexualize her. Not just other people, but herself sexualize her. Her whole character is about being sexually harassed. It's it's insane, and she's super exploited. You know, like. She's really stereotypical. When she, she first got her outfit in the game, it was a cat suit. I was like, oh, of course. In bright red with the boobs falling out. She's this strange 
ideal of this tall, skinny, blonde foreigner in Japan who's a model, which is quite stereotypical, and yet she has this typical Japanese personality. Kind of, I wonder if in a way it's like a certain kind of man's ideal of a woman in Japan. Like, she's just a massive contradiction, really. That's how I feel about her. Yeah. She is a massive contradiction. I always think about, like, there are times where she does defend herself and stand up for herself, and I really enjoy those parts because I'm like, yes, break the wheel, Anne. Yeah. But then, actually, there's one scene that I watched recently in preparation for this podcast, and it's when she asks Ryuji, because he's got two drinks, and mm. she's like, oh... I either of them not carbonated. And oh, I'm just yeah. like, really? Yeah, <laughs> really? I, know, I remember that scene. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to go into this this whole other area of teenagedom and model behaviour mm. where, you know, they don't want to eat because they don't want to get fat and it's all about sort of appeasing a male, a male photographer or a male person's gaze. Like, there's just so many instances, like, of this happening. It never feels like you, you quite get Anne as her character, except for those few moments she actually does stand up for herself or expresses and for her best friend, Shiho. That is the one redeeming factor of sort of plot line for Anne in this game. I think that's why I found it so problematic. Like, when I started... No- At first, I was like, oh, that's annoying. And when I started noticing it, it became so blatantly obvious. And every time I played, there would always be a moment whether they said something sexualizing towards her or she was real passive and didn't do something or there was just always something. It's unfortunate to say, but it is kind of a blight on the game for me. So historically, we know that female characters don't have the most brilliant history in terms of video games. (laughs) Um, Obviously, it's been highly documented within literature that uh, females are very negatively represented in video games. Okay, so I'll just throw some some information at you because this is totally my thing. Um, Lynch et al., I think it was in 2016, they basically did a huge study of a whole bunch of different games that include women. Lynch et al. found that sexualization of female characters in games really peaked in the 90s and it's got better since then in general. But now more games have female playable characters, which is really awesome. But the female characters still tend to be more often in secondary roles and they still tend to be more sexualised than primary characters. So they're more present, but they're still secondary and they're still kind of sexualised. Summers and Miller's kind of interesting. They found a, a slightly different finding. They said they looked at uh, magazines, for so the way that games are advertised in magazines, and they said, you know, this is kind of interesting because over time there's been a decrease in benevolent sexism, which is like women being seen as weak, like rescuing the princess and being helpless. Then increase in hostile sexism, which is basically hypersexualization, mm-hmm. like Anne. We have more female characters there, but they still tend to be secondary and still tend to be sexualized in a nutshell. Yeah. yeah. I was also going to mention as well, I did a bit of research this week, particularly in regards to media effects. Um, but I came across this 2009 study by uh, scholars Ben Morowitz and Maestro. And their paper, The Effects of the Sexualization of Female Video Game Characters on Gender Stereotyping and Female Self-Concept, found that when exposed or when playing as sexualized uh, video game characters, they found that women reported lower self-efficiency, which means that they felt as if they couldn't do as many sort of things in the world, so to speak, like they couldn't go out there and be assertive or achieve certain goals. But they did note that their findings did not support that it lowered their self-esteem. That's interesting. I found that interesting because I would always think those things are linked yes 
Well, they made that clear in their paper that actually there is a distinction between them mm. because obviously self-esteem is about values and how you sort of perceive yourself, while self-efficiency is like actually about, I guess, your attitude towards doing things. Okay, okay. Yeah, so that mm. was interesting because just thinking about the systems in place and what sort of video games afford to you and don't afford to yeah. you and how that impacts. Your capabilities you know, in a game versus yeah. the capabilities in real life, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, that's so depressing. <laughs> so obviously this female character is just being taken off to a fucking castle. <laughs> <laughs> that means that, that's, that's all you can do. That's your capability. Yeah. Just sitting in a cage somewhere waiting for Mario to save you. You still have good self esteem. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I found that really, really interesting. Obviously, that wasn't the only thing that they tested for, yeah. but that was the finding that I found that was particularly pertinent because I always think about, you know, as a female that identifies with other female characters, how do I feel about that? Okay, so in general, we're pretty critical, I guess, of a lot of the ways that female characters have been presented, particularly in Japanese games. So let's kind of go back to Anne and think a bit about our ability to identify or relate or understand Anne in some capacity. I mean, did you feel like you could to any extent? Okay, so I was thinking about this before I came into the podcast today about whether or not I could identify or relate to primary versus secondary characters because we never really play as Anne. No. So I feel like, but, but then again, there are other secondary characters in games that I have identified with. And so I feel like for me personally, I can relate to Anne and some of her struggles. You know, I've walked down the street as like a 16 year old girl and had like some old guy wolf whistle at me. And Ew. it's super gross. But at the same time, like I've never been able to identify with Anne because her character, the way in which she is sort of constructed, you know, she has this contradiction at the core of her character. Were you able to relate or identify <laughs> or...? Not really. I mean, I f she seems so artificial. Because of the that basic confusion mm -hmm. at her core, I just don't understand. It's almost, it's like the game's it's trying to be critical of sexualization in a few ways, which I'll talk about soon, but at the same time sexualizes the shit out of her. And I just... So to me, she's not a character with, with actual body behind her. She's just a picture and is a tool in the game, if that makes sense. Like yes. she doesn't have much of herself going on for her. So I just, I don't, I barely even see her as a character. She's such a construction. She is. Yeah. I agree. She's such a caricature. Mm. Like uh, even when, <clears throat> you know, she is sort of in those scenes where they're celebrating after they've defeated a palace, defeated a boss and, you know, reformed some shady human being that's been causing havoc all over Tokyo. They'll be sitting there, you know, eating their food and she'll say or she'll make a comment about becoming fat or not wanting to eat certain foods. It's just very much like she was obviously not written by a female. And I think like it's in, it's okay to touch on those issues. Like that could that could be quite relatable, yeah, right? Because people, I'm sure, like most women have gone through these things. Well, the problem for me is that they never do anything with it. They sort of just go, "That's her end of story." And really, she could have so she has so much ability to transform, and they. So far, they don't seem to be doing anything with that. Well, this is an issue in media, right? Like, writers believe that they can sort of tackle these really difficult, hard sort of issues, you know, perpetuated against and experienced by women. And they just, they can't go the whole way. Like, they actually end up doing more damage because they can't transmit or make an actual critical comment on those issues. They just use it as a way to make a character interesting. It's almost like, I think, I don't know if it's necessarily 
I think it is from comics, mm-hmm. but rape as sort of like a character device. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, yeah. That's like a whole drama. But that's what this that's reminds what me of. Yeah. yeah. But Anne's is way more messy in that they obviously did try and have a go to make some comment, but it just they made just massive contradictions that made no sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So. I think we should move on to really how Anne is framed within the world of Persona 5. So leaving Anne for a moment and looking at the world in which, or, you know, Tokyo in which it is constructed in Persona 5. So thinking about how Anne is sort of perceived by perhaps Joker, the primary sort of player character, and and how that impacts how we perceive Anne. Yeah. I mean... I have a lot to say about this, if that's okay. So okay, uh, maybe I should <laughs> maybe go you first. Maybe should go first. Yeah, yeah. So I think that she's fundamentally presented as like the the core sort of object of fan service, and as the desired object of um, Joker, who is the player character as we mentioned before. And really, Joker's attitudes towards Anne are really reinforced within the world that Persona Five creates. And I feel like this is even more sort of exemplified by the fact that there's no real resolution to Anne's arc. Like, sure they defeat Kamoshida, but it doesn't end there. She's still being... Nothing really happens with her after that because I thought at least she'd progress in some way. Exactly, but but no, it's like, oh, okay, so Kamoshida's been taken care of, but that doesn't mean that Anne is any better off. You know, we don't know if she's talking to someone. We know she's not really being supported by her friends that are happy to use her as like a sex object to, you know, sort of seduce people they need to seduce Mm. to achieve their goals. Uh, Yeah, I I feel like Anne truly is representative of Laura Mulvey's, like, concept of the male gaze, which is in film studies, where, you know, as we are playing the game, we are seeing Anne through a male gaze. Yeah. Especially heterosexual male gaze, in that she's just, she's blatantly a sex object, and the whole world that surrounds her treats her like that. The whole world is supportive of those attitudes and beliefs surrounding Anne's character. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I really have to say about no, that. No, that's. I, I think my my comments are kind of just expanding on. on yes, the, that's fine. Because <laughs> like when I first said that I I hate Anne when you asked me, you were like, hey, maybe you actually don't like don't hate her. Maybe you hate how the game deals with her. And I was like, yeah, you know what? That's a really good point. So like I tried to think about that. And like, look, she's introduced this foreigner model that everyone thinks is sleeping around. Okay, whatever. Then it comes out that this evil teacher was blackmailing her into having sex with him. She hasn't actually done it, but she was in close contact with him. So she's really gone through some form of sexual harassment, right? Getting blackmailed to have sex is a pretty, that's that's pretty, pretty big serious. deal. That's pretty serious. Yeah. So she joins her team, and I was like, okay, she's got a cat suit. Okay, it's like super sexualizing, particularly when this is just after you find out she was she got sexually harassed. Her boobs really emphasized and super skinny. And I was like, okay, this is a weird line to be thinking on like let's sexualize her even though we just found out she's upset because she got sexually harassed but okay <laughs> and then there's the way like Morgana talks to you so Morgana's that like, cat and the gender's kind of unclear and I was like well she's a girl clearly because her name's Morgana which is a female name which is also the name of a goddess and I was like well that's cool you named a character after a Celtic goddess how exciting then they kind of tell you that Morgana's a boy for some reason and then he makes comments throughout the game about how he loves Anne and wants to help her. And it's super creepy, partly because it's a cat, but also because, like, it's just totally unnecessary. And then me, so I'm about to be the third boss. And this is where I think things get interesting because, like, the, so far all the bosses have been bad in some capacity because they're predatory towards women, right? But the way that Anne's presented visually, how she's so passive, how the other characters talk about her, like like you said mm-hmm. before, and even at the onsen they sort of talk about her. 
Like, it's not that different. Like, the reason Joker's there is because he saved a woman from getting harassed and he got set up and they they claimed he punched this guy. Okay. Every single boss so far has been like, predatory in some way towards women and they've mentioned that as a reason for why we have to go after them. And yet the game's dealing with Anne completely contradicts all of that. Mm-hmm. It's like we've got this overarching message that you should be nice to women, but we're going to ignore that when we create the characters because we want to make sure it's appealing or for whatever reason. And I, that's the biggest contradiction to me. No, the game contradicts itself. No, I totally agree. It, like, feeds into that sort of, like, almost, like, nice guy ideology. Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, you know, I treat women correctly, but I'm still going to feed into these sort of, these gender roles or stereotypes about women in order for that to sort of please me. And mm-hmm. I find that, just to interject about Morgana, so I find Morgana really interesting in regards to Anne because, obviously, Morgana doesn't know whether or what he is you know he's like am i a human am i a cat and i find that his attraction to Anne is really telling because it's almost like he's trying to internalize this world that surrounds him and that Anne is a desirable object that he should be attracted to Anne because everyone else is that she is the prime sort of like sexual partner or like romantic interest and that's an interesting way to look at it right because yeah then you're yeah it's not just there's a reason he does that exactly yeah yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a really interesting way of looking I at that. I think so too. Yeah. And maybe because she has the cat suit, so he sort of like relates okay. to her, that she's sort of cat-like as well, and maybe he would be similar if, you mm. know, he was a human. But I found that really interesting. I'm like, why Morgana? Like, uh, obviously, there's a bit of a twist there with Morgana. I don't yeah, want to get into. Yeah, I'm assuming. So, <laughs> yeah, the fact that that's... he internalised that and recognises that and what that says about the creators giving him that attraction yeah. to him is telling. Mm. So I guess moving on to how Anne is sort of represented not only because we've been mainly talking about more descriptive, more surface level narrative elements really. So what do you think about the game's procedural systems and mechanics? Like how is Anne represented um, in those aspects? Like how do how do they reinforce her negative representation? Um, I think you might be better off answering this question partly because I haven't played that much of Anne to be honest. She hasn't actually been in my party for that long. Well, I think the one that really sticks out to me is what's called... So in Persona 5, you can sort of be held up by monsters and you can hold up monsters. (laughs) But if a demon is able to sort of get one of your party members and keep them hostage... Basically, if you have developed on social links, she can sort of step in and use what's called sexy technique or girl talk or crocodile tears. Sexy technique is um, at the higher end of the social link and that's when she actively tries to seduce the demons to let you go and to be sort of like kinder, kinder to her by letting you or the other party member go. And it's just, it's so cringy. Like, honestly, I'm like... Paired with, as you were saying, her knockdown sort of phase where, you know, her whole body is sort of contorted. It's literally a sex position. It is. Everybody else looks like what a regular person amidst a battle would look like knocked down. Yeah, or they comically fall down or something. And she's literally on her hands and knees with a bum in the air. It's super awkward. And the bum's facing the camera. It is. It is. It <laughs> actually, I'm very crass about this, but I just find it ridiculous. Like. It reminds me a bit of like Lulu from Final Fantasy X, like oh. when she wins a battle and you know she like she like she's a little shuffle with a boot. She shuffles with a yeah. boot. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that, and I'm like, really, is that necessary? But that's obviously not a mechanic. That is more of a representation sure. of the me- 
of the mechanic and perhaps that's the same with the hold up mechanic as well you know it is more of a representative surface level dictated sort of interaction that we have with her there but honestly I feel like Anne is fundamentally hypersexualized by both narrative and mechanical elements that do compose the game and such elements are conflicting significantly with the character arc that they provide to her and this really causes her character to be scattered in her representation like some characteristics traits and actions performed by Anne like do present her as like this vulnerable teenage girl dealing with the psychological impact of being sexually harassed by someone who has significant power over her like a, a teacher or a guardian figure while we constantly see her being painted and performing actions of being sexually promiscuous and assertive in that you know she is using in this hold up mechanic and you know in the knockdown I don't want to call it a mechanic but effect we'll call sure. it the knockdown effect she her sexuality is being exuded you know it's mm. being used as a form of power almost a, you know it's persuasion and it's not so much in an assertive way I guess you could frame it as like that's using your sexuality in a yes. powerful way but it, it's it not doesn't come across that way I think because no. of the rest of her character is so exploited that it doesn't yeah. feel that way it just feels like this is the only tool I have Exactly. And I mean, when you see the other female characters like Futaba and Makoto and unfortunately I've forgotten <laughs> the final female character's name. I don't even know them yet so that's okay. <laughs> okay that's, that's good. Uh, uh, the way that they are incorporated into Persona 5's combat system is just totally different okay. and just far more acceptable than what Arns is. That's interesting And I mean too, I know cause... that Arns like the lovers arcana but <laughs> it's just it's too much like yeah. it's just so unbelievable and it needs to be believable because her whole character is based around this really heavy shoe. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the major kind of thing really upset me. I'm a fan of heebie-jeebie tarot cards every now and then. They're fun to play with. I was like, why the hell is her card, the major kind of card, the lovers? There's no lovers here. She's literally got sexually harassed yes. and acting like it. They, they don't separate romance from sex for a start, which is a whole thing. But also, like, her persona's Carmen, and I'm not... I know it's like an opera, sorry. I went and Googled it, and basically it sounds like in this opera, there's a gypsy called Carmen who manipulates and seduces a soldier. And you know her persona's, like, in the frou-frou dress with the boob hanging out. Yeah, with, yeah. with like... But she's with holding, like, ma- a figure of a man who she's speared on something or, like, she... Oh. Yeah. I think maybe on the whip or something. So clearly the persona is a a man-eater. Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) And I was like, this makes no sense. How the hell is Anne manipulative? She was manipulated. She was sexually harassed. Yes. Yeah, and again, it doesn't feel like it's trying to take control of her sexuality. Like, if we're going to talk about the major arcana, she could have been, like, the star or something, which is about hope or inspiration or, like... A diff- there's so many if you look at the major arcana there are other options but one about transformation would be interesting because I think Harris mentioned to me when we are talking about it actually when you meet up with her at the park and you, you sort of coach her she's trying to develop her own personality like she's trying to find a new way to define herself other than sexuality and I was like there are other options, there are other features of her actual personality they could have touched on rather than being like, oh, she got sexually harassed, therefore sex, therefore the lovers. There's no, as you were saying, there's no real distinction between these different elements of romance mm. and obviously those those different dimensions of sex and the societal sort of issues surrounding sex and specifically those issues that impact women like Mm. there's just there's absolutely no nuance it feels like it's just a hot pot of like (laughs) how do sort of women that are sexually harassed act like what is female empowerment it's this Mm. or you know how is how are we going to present 
you know, these characters are sort of sympathising with this character and presenting them in a more appeasing sort of light, which doesn't actually happen. No. It's just it's just all these different scenarios in this one pot and it's just, <laughs> I just can't make sense of it. And as you're saying, like, the message here, like, sexual harassment is bad, pop that in, that's the main, yeah. like, ingredient. But you're adding all these other, like, conflicting, like, yeah. ingredients in and it just makes this mess. And even with the Carmen thing, I'm like, okay, well, if, if she, in terms of her personality, what she does in the game, had gone the whole other extreme and went, right, well, I'm going to get my revenge and I'm going to become a man-eater, that, then Carmen as the personality would make sense. But that doesn't happen. So it's like there's all these different threads that could have possibly made sense if they picked one. But, the, the yeah, the weird hot pot of putting them all together just is very confusing and has a lot of really problems ends up with really problematic Magic elements yeah. yeah okay well i think uh, do we want to touch on cultural relativism before we sort of end this section of our yeah of our cast? sure i mean f- for me it's it's tricky right because it's a japanese game and i've been saying in general sexual harassment is a really big issue and so is not taking it seriously which is why i thought it was interesting in the first place that the reason joker is why we get to play as him in this town is because he tried to help a woman who was being harassed. I feel like it is kind of a particularly Japanese issue to have these confusing elements in the game. Um, yeah, again, I don't want to say that and sound like I'm just painting with a broad brush because obviously there's variations everywhere, but there is a tendency to be a bit of a problem. I said to Harris, I was like, oh, this is such a Japanese game. And look, if it was something like gender roles in that she does the cooking, which she kind of does, and I, that doesn't really bother me too much, but when it's to the extent where Japan does have a problem with sexual harassment with women. So I think in particular for the sexualization stuff to be an issue in this game, it was more problematic than, say... I'm going to cook us food because I'm the woman of the group, you know? Yeah, when I think about, I guess, Japanese games, I can't go past thinking about fan service. Yeah. I can't get over, so obviously both of us really enjoy and love Final Fantasy X. We're going to be talking about it on this podcast forever. (laughs) But obviously its sequel, Final Fantasy X 2, really undoes a lot of the character development of Yuna and Riku from the first game. They are just completely sexualized and as I was saying before they are completely constructed in order to appease a male gaze and that's what I sort of think about when I think about females in Japanese games I think about jiggle physics I think (laughs) about you know insane outfits that you know no logical thinking person would take into battle. No, 100%. Even it's, horror games, you can always unlock extra outfits. Like yes. Fra- I'm sure the one you... Resident yeah. Evil, yeah. Fatal Friend does it. Yeah. yeah. An issue of like fan service and catering to a certain audience. Yes. And it doesn't have to be part of the original game, but even if they add it on, it's like, well... Exactly. Mm. I mean, I always think about like other people that like Final, Fa- Final Fantasy X, they're just like, I just pretend Final Fantasy X 2 does not exist. <laughs> because, you know, it undoes so much of that first game. And yeah. I consider that first game to be like, you know, an epic tragedy in video mm. games. It is. And, mm. you know, having that canonical sequel that explicitly presents Yuna and Riku as ditzy. When we know they're not ditzy, we know they've learned enough from the first game. It completely destroying <laughs> all of that progress. And you know, as a player, you went on that journey with them. And so playing that game, it just was like such a slap in the face because you think about the creative integrity of, you know, the first team that probably created those characters and whether or not they were present on this second game and what they sort of think about their characters, like, changing like that. Because for me, I always, like, enjoyed sort of RPGs growing up, but I really, really enjoyed Final Fantasy. So seeing those characters transform like that, I can't help but feel just deeply disappointed. And as we are going back to, as we mentioned earlier, sorry, 
about having to deal with the discomfort of the sort of blights on our favorite games. Like, I'm just sick of having to deal with it. You know <laughs> I, what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, we've adjusted, you know, it's been a whole sort of lives gaming and consuming any type of media. But it just gets to a point where you're like, how has this not been resolved yet? Like, yeah. there's just so much, like, critique on it. And yet they obviously think that it, it must be effective in some way, right, in terms of sales. Again, going back to cultural relativism, maybe it's just an issue where they feel like the Japanese market isn't as open to other things. It's interesting, I guess, when you're saying about FF x2 in that i try to always think about like representation versus the actual personality of a character and i tried not to i try really hard not to be like oh the representation is all that matters because obviously it's not because that's like super superficial i think the problem with Anne is that okay she's depicted in a really sexualized way so i try to understand her personality but the personality is crazy and confusing and doesn't make a lot of sense and feels really artificial Versus at least, like, as much as you know in FFX, I felt she was, like, super passive, which she's meant to be, right? I fully yes. appreciate that. And, like, I'm super naive, but, oh, my God, she's super naive. But she makes sense. Like, she's understandable in terms of personalities. I can relate to her in some capacity in that I laugh and say I'm super naive. Or I understand where she's coming from in her conception of the world and how she's been yes. brought up. And that all makes sense. And I, I guess that's... But with Anne, that yeah. just doesn't exist. She is just a mess of a character. Mm. Like, in terms of her assemblage, yeah. she just doesn't... Just yeah. <laughs> she's just... She's, she is like a doll with all these different parts. Yeah. It's crazy. It's confusing. It is. Yeah. And I feel ultimately, like, just leaving Anne here for now, we can't relate to Anne, we can't identify with her. And even though she is arguably a more complex character in terms of females and games, you know, we spend a lot of time with her as Joker. Mm. Um, and obviously she's introduced quite early. She's just completely unreachable. I'm assuming it doesn't happen later either because you've obviously played more of the game than I have. Kind of always felt like I was waiting for a bridge of connection to be like, okay, this is why she's like this. Or let's un- let's try to explain to you a little bit more about her personality or her worldview. And that hasn't really happened other than when they went to the park and they said she was working a personality. But that didn't really go anywhere. So I did romance and I did do mm-hmm. her entire social link and yeah, there's just, there's no real resolution. As wow. I was saying before, there's just never that, that moment, you know, you really begin to understand why her character is the way it is. If anything, it just goes back to those sort of stereotypes and behaviours that we associate with models. She's just presented as like really ditzy and unsure of herself and she's just not that much of an interesting character, even though she is really complex. Mm. And she's just, she should be a masterclass in how not to create a character. I, th- I think, look, in, in overall, the game itself, like Persona 5 is a brilliant game. It's, it is. The game system is really fun. It makes sense. Everything is explained to you. It's nice pacing. Like, I really enjoy doing the social things and leveling characters in that way. I also enjoy fighting when I go into the, the palaces. The game itself is brilliant, and I would say if you're interested in it, play it. It's just that Anne's character is quite frustrating and distracting, I suppose. But, but I will I, finish the game and enjoy it. I yeah. was going to say, I would rec- if someone asked me for recommendations on turn-based RPGs, I would absolutely recommend mm. Persona 5. I had an absolute blast with it. Uh, I don't think there's anything as fun as becoming or identifying with a teenage <laughs> boy running around Tokyo. It's just that one part. And it's like, it's something you forget as well until she comes on screen. <laughs> or, like, or like Mokana says something weird and you're like, mm. <laughs> Where did that 
come from? Yeah. Was that really necessary? Do we have to be reminded about how hot Anne is again? Yeah. <sighs> oh, dear. So... I guess just moving on to female characters before we finish up, do you think there are other female characters that you've struggled to identify with, even if they don't necessarily fit with that sort of hypersexualized, objectified, exploited stereotype? I think, like I said before, I think Yuna in FFX I had trouble identifying with in that, okay, she's not sexualized at all, but yeah, I, f- I felt like she was just, again, stereotypically passive for yes. a Japanese game. And I know she's meant to be, but I tried to understand how she was brought up in that, but considering her lifelong journey, that didn't seem to match up with her personality. See, I find this really interesting because I, I can't separate sort of Yuna's character from Titus's character in okay. a way. Like, I find that her passiveness fits with his softer masculinity, sure. if that makes sense, which I think is more of a sort of positive reflection of his character than hers. Mm. I still feel like, I mean, I think I feel like the game is Yuna's game. I feel like in terms of the characters and what the plot sort of revolves around or who it revolves around, it definitely is Yuna, even though we're sort of seeing the story through Titus's eyes. But I feel as if Yuna's characterization is symbiotic with Titus's. Mm-hmm. So in, in him becoming less immature and slowly maturing over time in that he's able to grapple with the issues he has with his father, we see the issues that Yuna has with her father in becoming this passive, you know, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to honour my father by also becoming a summoner and I'm just going to conform to the sort of dogmatic principles of the world that surrounds me. Um, I'm going to become more and more strong and sort of fight these ideals that have encaged me. I can't separate them. So I, yeah. I totally get what you say about Yuna being passive because it's not like she's just passive on her own, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like that's not her own sort of trait almost. It's like a shared trait that they all sort of feed into and want to draw out. Yeah, that's interesting. I yeah. don't know if I'm explaining that properly. I hope you sort of know what I mean. I think so because like the whole the whole like religious structural system is saying, well, you grow up here, this is what you're expected to do. She yes. doesn't so much have a choice to fight that at the beginning. Exactly. She's got no tools to do that. Yeah. So yeah, I can yeah. see that differently now. But uh, in terms of other characters, I guess... For me, it's about understanding personality in that, like, as much as I don't have the same personality as Lara Croft in, like, the new Tomb Raiders, like, she's kind of understandable. They kind of explain where she's coming from. You can understand why she's doing what she's doing and why she says what she says. So I think sometimes I just need a little connection to get there if I'm not there yet, if it doesn't mm-hmm. if it doesn't seem to come naturally. In general, what do you think our reaction to Anne sort of suggests about the way we identify characters and games well as I said previously I feel like I can relate more to Anne than really identify with her Mm. but I think that if I was to really try and become Anne I feel like it would be that a sort of situation that we were talking about last week in regards to identification and that is that it's really a fluid subjective process I mean even not being Anne I consistently felt as if I was being thrown back and forth in regards to being able to relate to her and understand her Mm. and you know embody her in a way and be able to to sympathise or, you know, empathise with her with her issues. What about yourself? I think I understand the fluidity aspect of it because n- most of the time I felt I couldn't really understand her at all. But there'd be moments like at the park where she said, yes. I'm trying to develop my personality, I need more of a sense of self. And I went, wow, like I can really, in that moment, I felt like I could really understand her. And then, yeah, I guess there are other moments, like even when she said, like, which drink's carbonated, I'm like, okay, that's what understandable to me because I totally went through a phase where I was really worried about weight and stuff and was always thinking about that so there's definitely moments 
to me where she becomes understandable. Yes, and I was going to say, I think the most relatable aspects about Anne are, you know, related to her teenagehood and being a teenage girl and being Mm. told that you need to perform in a certain way. So I totally understand that as well. But at the same time, like, I feel like her her characterisation and how that is also constructed by societal norms and in media in general just totally turned me, like, totally turned me off. They sort of ignore the power structures that she would be sitting under. I feel. Um, whereas for other characters, like kind of they all go, oh yeah, we're rebels, we're teenagers, we hate adults, we hate adults. But they never really articulate for her that the things she does is because of that power structure. Yes. Whereas the other characters, it seems a bit more obvious, I suppose. I think so too. Yeah, mm. yeah because mm. you, you can, I mean, we have been saying that we don't understand, but you can sort of see where they're trying to angle it. Sure. But at the same time, there's just those instances where the logic is so disrupted that you're like, I can't see where this angles anymore, like where the mm. framing is meant to sit. And I'm really interested in how that came to be. Like, I would love a games journalist talk to the narrative team of Persona mm. 5 and see what's happened because I'm sure they went into it with really positive intentions because as you were saying one of the major messages of the game is how women are treated and that they should be treated by some suave gentleman that Joker is meant to be rather than less sort of shady dark disgusting adult men that we see being predatory Mm. throughout the game but yeah going back to I would just love to see like where it went wrong you know even reading that article by Jason Schreier uh, last week about Anthem and uh, just the amount of detail about how important narrative is for, you know, sort of constructing a game. You know, I wonder if they sort of flipped or, you know, different departments on that game dev team just slipped on certain elements and so Anne's character arc just became so fragmented and contradicting that it couldn't be changed, that they, they did have a certain plot for her but the main storyline just changed enough or what happened there. But, yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me. No, it doesn't. Like, it doesn't. She's yeah. very confused confusing and she's confused and it's it links to the broader structure of the game 100 percent. it does thank you very much for listening thank you so much until next time